Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Kellen McPherson, and today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, uh, we bring you an end-of-year special to highlight samplings of an interview with an ongoing series. I started a series about a year ago called Is Radio Dying, where I talk with community uh, radio stations about, from uh, across the country. I talked with these radio stations about how the pandemic affected their radio station and how they thought the pandemic had affected the radio industry as a whole. I mean, and I also talked with them was what radio looks like now after being out of the pandemic for two years, what the future of radio looks like and the importance of radio as a medium and how to get the younger generation into radio and the importance of small community based radio stations. These were all questions I was interested in. So in 2021, I headed out and started talking with radio stations. Joseph Orozco of KIDE Hoopa probably owned an operated rate community radio. I talked with Joseph in April of 2022. Then you'll hear later on from Sharon Scott of WXOX in Louisville. And I talked with her in May of 2022. And she will discuss how radio can support political movements. After that, Reverend Joan C. Ross, I talked with her in March of 2022, and we talked about um, her radio station, WNUC in Detroit, and how to get the younger generation excited about radio. And finally, Joseph Piazic, he was one of my first or second interviews I did. He's in Roxbury, New York, and he speaks on the importance of producing shows locally. Now... On to the first segment with Joseph Orozco. He is the lead producer of KIDE Hoopa 91.3 FM in California. KIDE was the first Native American-owned and operated non-commercial FM full-powered radio station in California. Uh, I asked Orozco about what is Native media and how the government can support Native media, and of course, is if radio is actually dying we are in our 41st year this is hudson mohawk magazine reporter kaylin mcpherson um can you introduce yourself i'm joseph orosco member of the hoopa valley tribe currently i'm the lead producer of kide hoopa tribal radio in hoopa california can you explain a little bit about um, that radio station? We are in our 41st year, started in 1980, as a non-commercial educational FM. Um, we cover our coverage is mainly the reservation here. It's a we our antenna is located 1,500. 50 feet below the height of the average terrain. So we are in the bottom of a valley. The mountains surrounding us, uh, well, we have maybe a, a mile between them. That's <laughs> a kind of a medium-sized valley, but the mountain ranges kind of keep our signal from going too far. And we would have liked to have put our tower up on a mountaintop, 
but we didn't have the funds to do that at the time. And then uh, another station out of Oregon start creating a, a empire of uh, other uh, uh, translators sites and relay stations and ended up boxing us in. Uh-huh. So we so we serve mainly the the valley floor, and uh, we are on the internet off our website. We have a listen now button there, and people can listen to us wherever they're at in the world. What is your experience in radio? What's my experience in radio is KIDE Hoopa Tribal Radio. It's the only radio station I've ever worked in. I was on the original board of directors that signed the papers and got the station built. I didn't, I'm not one of the authors of those original set of papers. I came in after that was already submitted. Um, Just helped build a station, fund the station, and then I took over, and we signed on the air in 1980, and I took over the management in 1988. So for our listeners, can you explain what Native Media is? What Native Media is, is uh, media, in our case, radio, FM, licensed by the Federal Communication Commission to a Native tribe. Uh, ours is licensed to the Hoopa Valley tribal members 18 years of age and older. So we created in the very beginning a nonprofit board of directors called the Hoopa Valley Telecommunications Corporation. And their, the first project was KIDE. KIDE is spelled, well, KIDE. It's a Hoopa word, it's pronounced KIDE. A lot of people see our call letters and call us kite. No, it's kidei. It means an antler taken off the deer and used as a tool, or it's decorated. Kidei. Wow. When it's still on a deer, it's called metdei, is antler. Um, so, so native media is what we try to do with uh, our station. What I've been trying to do is is bring in news and information that we don't normally hear. We get a lot of commercial radio and television. Well, one commercial television station, one PBS station, and uh, a lot of commercial radio and commercial news. So a lot is not covered that actually uh, is related to our situations. So, and then there's still a lot of coverage that is not brought into the community from the outside world. There's, There's always more of a conservative slant to what reaches us. So what I tried to do in the very beginning was to provide more of a progressive uh, information, you know, uh, programming from Pacifica Networks and and other independent news producers get the other side of the story. How do we bring more native media more native stories to more people do you think um start the same way we ended up having native radio stations congress got behind it i've been saying this for decades we need to have in our rights 
of uh, in our trust responsibilities of the federal government when they took over our land and then they said, okay, you got these reservations, this, this is reserved for you, we're not taking it, uh, but we're going to govern it. And so then they gave us water rights and fishing rights and education rights and human services and those types of things that we all need as a community, but they did not restore our communication rights. And we had no idea when we signed treaties or when all this stuff was being done to think that, you know, one day we might have a radio. We might be communicating electronically and broadcasting, and we just didn't see that. They didn't see it either. And then when Marconi created the, and other people did radio, and then it, that caught on that, wow, here's a new technology, and it's far better than the telegraph. Uh, we could send human voices in real time. And that caught on like wildfire and fire. And when those radio stations realized that they could sell their airtime to corporations and companies to sell their products and create commercials, then the big money start rolling in. So then when all that was developed at that time, the FCC was created and start coming up with regulations of where you place antennas and they did the contour maps and all these things. And it was all done without any consultation to tribes. We were not at the table. We didn't say, wait a minute, you, we have this reserve here. We, this was all our land and now you're taking control of all this land and making huge profits on it. And we're getting uh, pennies on a dollar for anything that you take out of here for our resources. And we also should own the airspace so that if you want to bring your signals, your commercials into us, you should be, there should be some kind of a tariff on us that come across our lands and reach our, our homes and inundate us with all of this uh, commercialism. So I think the federal government, Canadian government also, should have to do some reparation about this and start saying, hmm, we made a mistake. What we need to be allowed to do is be able to communicate and then we need to have a push within each tribe, within each native community, because some, some native communities are not readily recognized. So what do we do about that? There's still native people. There's, there's no way just because the federal government doesn't recognize them doesn't mean they're not. I mean, right. we, we have that right to identify ourselves. So if you don't have a reserve, you don't have a, 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 a federal status, does not mean you should be omitted of having the right to communicate. And that should be funded through Congress, the same way as Congress helps fund other corporations and give them tax breaks and all this other shenanigans that are done to keep those in power in power. Well... That's my answer to that question. 
That's how. That's what it will take. And the people, the the native people in every community, have to push their young people and their members or their citizens into looking into media as a viable career choice because we don't right now you ask any group of adults in your community how many of you have promoted and told your child to become a journalist or a communicator go after that career i have yet to see one person raise their hand so that in in our area what we noticed when we had this public school system here it was all the teachers were white. There was no native teachers. And all of our native students, children, went to this school and were being taught by these non-native people. So they said, that's wrong. So they went to this local university, or Humboldt State University, and they got them to create a completely different education wing that was called the um, ITEP, the Indian teachers education personnel program to to teach native people how to be teachers and this has been going on a long time 30 40 years we now have more native teachers in our schools and we have more native uh, administrators in our school district we have yet to get a superintendent but we've got principals and we got counselors we got teachers that's the same type of thing that same kind of movement has to happen with media this has been kaylin for the hudson mohawk magazine and i've been talking with joseph orosco of k-i-d-e this is part one of a two-part interview i did with him for more information mediasanctuary.org and if you want to learn more about this topic there is a book called signal in the air native broadcasting in america by ray cook Hudson Mohawk Magazine launch. We're not listening to that interview. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to move to the second part of this interview with Joseph Orozco, where we continue to talk about native media and how the government can support native media. This is Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Kaylin McPherson reporting. Uh, is radio dying? And I'm talking with Joseph Orozco of KIDE. And we've been talking about native media, um, what the future of radio looks like, and much more. What you're about to listen to now is him talking about how anybody can post stories to social media and how social media is different than radio. Right now, because of Facebook and all this other broadband technology, that's going off like like wildfire. Yeah, everybody's doing that. And, but they're not communicators. They're not journalists. They're just people gossiping and sharing stories and that's good share stories but i don't care what you had to eat yesterday and i don't care about your cat but i do care about news i do care about people's opinions and their feelings and 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 so those things have to be shared with everybody not just your friends lists you shouldn't have to buy a telephone and have a contract and uh, and shell out the money that you don't have so that you can get the news. It should become, it should be as ubiquitous as FM radio is now. Just buy a transistor radio and you got it. 
agree with you there. <laughs> that, that's how that's how you get more native people. That's that's the answer. And I want to talk with Deb Holland and and uh, uh, what's her name uh, Elizabeth Warren and the president of the National uh, uh, what is it NCIA uh, Native uh, American what, NCIA yeah yeah. <sighs> The group that advises the Congress, if, if anything gets developed in the Indian country, if NCIA does not back it, it doesn't get passed. So need to get that wing, that whole, it used to be NCIA was originally developed out of the War Department of the federal government. And then the War Department changed to the Interior, Interior Department. But NCIA is still part of the Interior Department. Deb Holland, NCIA, it all, they dovetail together. You got to get them sitting at the table and listen to the story. And they got to figure out how to do it. I just got the theory. <laughs> I don't have the building blocks. Yes, yes. Um, well, moving right along, um, <laughs> how do you think the pandemic changed the radio industry? Or just at your local area and radio? Well, it, it, <laughs> It uh, it got more people listening to the radio because what we did we got it we we jumped right at it uh, our we got our our health department our tribal health department has some excellent doctors and they jumped on it they before the pandemic hit us we were already doing the masking we were already doing the messages about washing our hands twenty. We're 20 seconds often we talk we hand sanitizers and wipe down everything uh, uh, we even try to keep people out of the reservation we, we we looked at our legal rights to to block the borders but because we have a state highway we couldn't close that but what we could do is say that yeah you can drive down the state highway but don't stop anywhere and get on tribal lands the grocery store, the gas station, those are, that's tribal property. Just go where you need to go. And then we had signage along the highway, uh, health crisis, uh, not an exit. If you're not local, stay out. So you can't drive down the roads that go towards other people's homes and areas that are off the highway, unless you're a guest of that somebody living down there and then we we kind of deterred that try to tell people even our family members who live off the reservation we said no we, you, you can't come to our place for thanksgiving and christmas uh so we, we jumped we're we're ahead of it and so we had a very we only had for oh gee over almost two years we only had one death and wow. that person was was ill anyway, and it was an older person. So I I don't know how much longer that person would have lived anyway, but without COVID. But yeah, he did succumb to COVID. And to date, we only have three. So we did pretty well. Yes. And the radio station we had daily broadcast. The tribal chairman had a radio show, twelve noon, and he brought in the health officials he brought in uh the um, cdc representatives that were working with our medical center 
they came in and they're on the radio. We had uh, the police chief, uh, the Office of Emergency Services director, and they did daily updates and cautions and precautions and they answered questions that people were calling in. So yes, we our audience increased during that time. We were uh, essential staff, so we, well, other departments were closing up and non-essential staff didn't go to their jobs. We stayed on the job. We didn't lose anybody and we never signed off the air. Wow. I mean, you guys did well during the pandemic. I mean, looking at our communities around here, we had many, many deaths. But uh, moving right along, second to last question or somewhere in there, uh, name of the series, do you think radio is dying? No. I, I think it's it's being lost and in, uh, it's not dying. It's, we're still essential. Uh, uh, our spiritual leader, I was I was having this discussion with before, and uh, she's also a, a, a ninth grade English teacher at our high school. She's very articulate. She's a very wise person. And um, I was having this meeting with some other, our newspaper personnel and our radio personnel and this other uh, consultant that I use in consensus building. And I, I just want to have this this discussion about the value of media or in tribal media within our community. I just wanted to break the ice and get this. And they, they had a high school radio club because this, this teacher, our spiritual leader had a son who was part of the radio club and he, he was interested in radio. So she, she became the sponsor that the, the fiscal, the, the, the facility or faculty sponsor, that's what it is, faculty sponsor, uh, for the club. So she came to this meeting and they walked in. I didn't know this meeting was happening. And uh, they just walked into it and they sat down and joined the circle. And we start talking about the value of the radio station. And I was feeling kind of down. So I was like kicking myself like, wow, what can we do? We're not valuable. Da, da, da. And she just stopped and she said, you know, we've always had trouble with communications all this time. We live on two rivers. Our villages are strung out along two rivers, along two rivers. The news would come as fast as the river would flow. If you could run faster than the river, then you got the news earlier. So what we had was a system of ridge runners, people whose job it was to run along the ridges and drop down to the different villages and share the news and pick up the news and then get back up on the ridges and run to the next one. So that was a system that was developed and and that's how we got the news. So it's always been a problem. So now we have electronic media and we have fewer people. <laughs> And that's and what we're doing at the radio station. There's, there was just three people at the radio station and three people at the newspaper. And But we were able to move the news faster, but we have fewer people to do that and it, compared to what we had hundreds of years ago. We had farther to run, but we had more people doing it. And these people were fluent in three different languages because all the, all the tribes, three different tribes, three different languages. Uh, so comparatively, uh, we're actually behind the curve. And what she liked about 
our radio station is that when she goes to school and she has people get on Facebook and they have, they only get snippets of news and gossip and they don't really get the in-depth look at what this means and how does it affect them. That's never explained on Facebook, but that's what they see. So she watches the news, the commercial news, and she analyzes that and she understands what that, and then they have this discussion in her class about what does this mean? She said, the radio station does the same thing. She gets, she goes, she, she goes through a bunch of stuff on her, in her job and, 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 sees how crazy the world is but when she comes home she turns on the radio and she goes ah oh, what a relief people are talking about stuff that really means something to me and it it's 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 like a, an, an oasis and she finds comfort in that that ah i'm listening to kide that's nice so that is part of our role in this community we give people we relate to people as who they are and what when we try to reflect with them, what is going on in this crazy world and how's it going to affect us? That's a daily grind, but it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to start wrapping up this interview. It's going a little long, but for our, <laughs> yes. for our final question, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I didn't ask you that you think should be said? Well, I kind of enjoyed the way you asked the questions because it allowed me to say the most important thing first, and that's this Congress has to invest and support native media and that, that it's, it's the only way it's going to work. And then the communities have to back that up. I mean, you, you, the reason why people don't push their, their, their children to media is because it's not a, a viable career choice. You know, you, you can make more money working on the roads department or, or fallen timber or something, but, but, uh, media we have as people as native people what i've noticed in our community we are very good consumers of media but we're very poor owners we don't understand how the media system works and how to take advantage of what is what what is function is we want to use it to i don't want to say propaganda i have to make sure as a public broadcasting uh, tool that it's not used to slander people and harm people. It's used, it, its purpose is to educate people. And I don't, I feel that once people graduate from high school, they feel like their education is over. They don't need no more education. But uh, I think, well, <laughs> yeah, there's a song about that. We don't need no education. Da, da, da. Yes. You can never stop yeah. learning. It never stop learning. It never ends. Well, thank you, Joseph, for joining me. Well, thank you for uh, this invitation. <laughs> this has been Kalen reporting for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Is Radio Dying show. And that was my interview, uh, extended interview, with Joseph Orozco, the lead producer at KIDE. 91.3 FM in California, the first Native American-owned and operated non-commercial FM full-powered radio station in California. 
For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find the, today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. And moving right along to Sharon Scott, the, is, is the general manager at Art XFM, broadcasting on WXOX 97.1 FM in Louisville. Uh, Art XFM combines contemporary art practices with online broadcasting to create a meeting place of sounds and ideas accessible to all those who wish to participate. I spoke with her in May earlier this year. Today on the series, Is Radio Dying? We talk with Sharon Scott of WXOX in Louisville. A couple weeks ago, on April 24th, uh, WXOX and a couple of other stations nationwide played a Ukrainian folk song to show their support for Ukraine and their families that have been displaced by the war. And well, and hello, Sharon. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Hi, nice to be here. We're with WXOX in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I guess we should start about talking about this whole, I guess I'm going to call it an event where many stations played um, this Ukrainian folk song. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. Um, We've been doing um, a monthly broadcast recognizing every month that passes since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we've been having radio stations, community and college radio stations across the country join in unison and playing a song once a month at 7 p.m. on the Uh, 24th of every month, which was the 24th that the Russians invaded Ukraine. Um, And the first month we played the Ukrainian national anthem. We welcomed stations to find whatever version they liked of that. Um, And then we played it all at the same time. And it was just a very powerful, very moving moment um, to know that everyone was coming together. We were all listening to this song in unison and really reflecting on what's going on um, in Ukraine right now. And then uh, we followed it up. This month has been the second month, of course, of the, since the invasion. And we followed it up with the Ukrainian folk song, like you mentioned. Um, the translation is, I will travel far into the mountains. And there's a number of Ukrainians that have produced this song, Ukrainian singers. And again, we welcomed the radio stations to play whatever version they wanted to. Um, this song was chosen by one of our DJs who's from Ukraine, Andriy Sharahi. And he does a weekly radio show on our um, radio station on WXOX called Dobry Den, which means good day in Ukrainian. And he picked this song because he felt like it really spoke to the heart of the Ukrainian people. It wasn't a political song or anything like that, but it was more a song that you would sing when you're sitting around the campfire with friends or when you're taking shots or you're celebrating a wedding or something like that. So he felt that it would be very powerful to Ukrainians who might be listening to any of the stations that are tuning in. I guess, um, how did the event go? What was the reception of the event? Yeah, I mean, again, it was um, very powerful. I think our radio stations, each of us are very powerful in our own communities. So when we all pull our frequencies together, 
and focus on something and think about a problem in the world, I think we can really offer some interesting solutions or at least reflections upon what's going on. And I really think that that happened again um, for the second month that just really brought everyone together, not only the stations, but also all of our listeners um, in support of the Ukrainian people. So it is May and do you have a song picked out this month or not yet? You're still working on it. Yeah, we don't have the actual song picked out uh, for this month, but we've decided, uh, thanks to Ursula Rudenberg, who is um, the Pacifica Affiliates Manager, she's a wonderful person, and she felt like we should recognize the journalists that have been stifled um, by the Russian army, either killed in Ukraine or stifled in their own country about the things that they can or can't say. So that will be the theme for the May uh, 24th uh, broadcast, but we have not selected the actual song yet. Uh, we are in contact with some radio people that are in Ukraine right now, and we may have them suggest a song. Wow, that that's 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 cool. Um, yeah. Are they broadcasting in in during this war still? Well, or? Yeah, this is a ra the radio station I'm speaking of is is Radio uh, Karina. Uh, I'm not saying it correctly. Um, Karena, anyway, um, it's a, it's, hopefully you guys can help me out with that pronunciation, but it's a really interesting um, radio station that broadcasts only in Ukrainian. And they have a number of stations across the country. And there's a very interesting saga that I've listened to with where one of the Pacifica affiliates interviewed the, the people at the radio station in Ukraine, Krena FM, that's what it's called, thank you. Um, and they connected with the people at Krena FM and interviewed them. And it's a harrowing story about how they've managed to keep the radio station on air um, in, in these circumstances. And it includes them currently being in a secret location that they cannot reveal, but they've, they've been doing it. Even though their tower was that massive tower that we saw uh, got blown up early, well, at least got hit early in the invasion that's actually still standing and they're broadcasting still from there. So uh, I really admire them. They've really been going through a lot to keep it on air. That shows the power of radio and how further people will go to keep radio and stories and radio alive. Yes, that's right. And why is radio a powerful platform for a, a statement such as this? Well, radio is so powerful. I mean, the, the ability to communicate with so many people at once, especially in a war zone where the internet is often down, um, many other ways of communicating are out. Um, they actually are talking about this in Ukraine, how the radio has been the thing that has kept everyone connected. Um, you can't bring your TV down into the basement when you go hiding from the bombs, but you can bring your radio and stay up to date with what's going on. What is your experience in radio? Well, God, <laughs> I don't think we have time for all that. <laughs> Sorry to put, put you on the spot like that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm presently um, the founder and general manager of WXOX in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we're also known as Art FM. Our mission is to think about radio as its own art form, not just a medium that conveys other mediums, but what can you actually do with radio that you can't do with other medium? And that includes communicating with you know, so many people at once, having so many people have access to this thing um, and communicating in a really intimate way that, that gets into your mind, you know, through your ears. So, so that's, what, that's my role. I'm keeping the station on air. We're at LPFM um, and we're just dealing with all the, the issues as they come up. Like today, of course, um, we've heard the news about the Supreme Court or, um, and 
you know, we're kind of dealing with that kind of stuff. So we've been playing some really interesting stuff about the history of Roe versus Wade, including a dramatization of what might happen when that is overturned, um, which is quite harrowing. So, you know, we're really trying to use our, our frequency to address the major issues that are happening in our community and the world and using that power of being able to communicate with so many people in new and different ways. Right, and radio is always, is it's, it's transforming, it's changing, it's, it's not, people are not just listening to it in their cars or in their homes, they're listening to it on their phone and it, it's, it's yeah. changing. Yeah, it is. And we, I think we just have to embrace these changes as, you know, new directions and new ways of listening. But I think really more people are listening than they ever have before. And we've noticed, you know, during the pandemic, really the, the value of radio has, has really increased just this ability to connect with people who might be alone in their homes, bring them music and joy and information. Right. And, and it connects to people in their homes, maybe people who couldn't leave, they switched on their radio instead of lo looking at the TV, they listen to radio and they can yeah. connect to what's being played on, on their local stations. And, yeah. you know, that was a hard time to get through. And so radio helped them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, allows people to connect to hear live music. We were able to broadcast live music when when you know, bands weren't performing out at bars and things like that. Um, it's just been wonderful. Um, and we really feel like, you know, just to address the, the title of your show, we really feel like um, radio is not dying. It's more vibrant than ever, thanks to the LPFM movement, thanks to stations like yours and ours that are out there um, really breathing life back into this medium that corporate radio has kind of sucked all the juice out of. <laughs> so I think there's a, there's a lot of great hope for radio out there right now. Thanks to you all. Right, right. And um, how can listeners learn more about your station? Where can they find more info? Sure. Uh, well, we have a website, www.artxfm.com. They can go there and listen. We also have free WXOX apps, so they can listen there. And of course, if they're visiting in Louisville, Kentucky, they can tune in to 97.1 FM. Sharon Scott of WXOX in Louisville. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really, really enjoy connecting with you all up there in New York. Reverend Joan Ross hosts a program called My Block, My City, My Hood on WNUC 96.7 FM Detroit, whose mission is to help map equity in the in the community through grassroots communication. I asked her about her program, how to get to the younger generation excited about radio, and the importance of this medium. This is HMM correspondent Kayla McPherson reporting. Um, can I have you introduce yourself? Hi, good afternoon. I'm Reverend Joan Ross. You want uh, my whole title, huh? Okay, yeah. I'm Reverend well, Joan Ross. I'm the station manager for WNUC 96.7 FM out of Detroit, Michigan. What is your experience in radio? Wow, we started community radio here in Detroit um, in 2017. So I've been in radio acting as the station manager and I do a show called My Block, My Hood, My City out of Detroit. So how do you think a listener listens to radio now you know, opposed to even the beginning of this de uh, decade, decade. <laughs> so I think that uh, listen, radio listenership is up, especially for us. 
we're in an urban area that is very dense with radio stations, uh, radio signals. However, they're not really connected to community. And being a community radio station, we find that people are connected to us basically primarily for the community information to be a part of that community. And then in terms of listenership, does that does your listenership include younger listeners? Is it hard to get list- wow. younger the younger generation excited to tune into radio? Actually, no, not for us. We have a, a young listener base that we start at three o'clock in the afternoon and we actually turn our airways over to uh, our young folks. They produce a show called Radio to the Future where they can have their own content at their own time. So when they get out of school, they head to the station uh, and produce their own show. So no, it, it hasn't been as challenging trying to get young listeners as it probably is in other markets. How do you think the pandemic has changed the radio industry or even just your local radio station? Well, certainly um, we've had to switch from um, the studio to remote. We're doing everything remotely. So that does affect the impact of, of folks in the studio, people coming to produce shows. They're more able to produce a show because they're at home, but we had to learn a whole new technique in doing that. So I think that the pandemic drove us all indoors, but it also gave people opportunities to create shows and create content that before had didn't have that special time to do. And then, and then have people for, I know for us at our radio station is have people not just in our local area, help us produce the show, but from all, from all over the country. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're getting uh, content from everywhere, not just all over the country, but we get a lot of content from out of the country. We're so close to Canada and you may be well too. I don't know exactly where your station is located, but we get a lot of folks from, from Windsor, from Montreal, from Toronto uh, submitting content as well. Yeah, we're not too close to the Canadian border, about six hours away. Uh, Anyways. I'm about six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Where do you see radio in 20, 30 years? You know, I think a lot of people thought radio is dead, but we have to remember radio is still in our cars and people are still connected to that when they get in cars, even though there's Pandora and some of the other services. Um, that come through streams, people still use radio primarily in the cars. So as long as we have that lifeline to a car, uh, especially for us here in Detroit, I think that radio is going to grow. While it does seem to be um, a little stagnant in some areas, I believe that there are areas across the country, such as Detroit, probably New York, where you are, Uh, making comebacks with radio and radio content. It's the last place that community has to get its message across. Um, It's the the place where local people can create content and actually get it aired, have an opportunity for their music to perform, to to create talk shows. So I don't think it's time to count radio out. I think radio is going to grow. It's going to make a comeback. 
WNUC looks like it has a pretty diverse amount of shows, not just new shows, but some music shows, some news shows. And it doesn't even look like some of them are even like you got Democracy Now!, which is definitely not produced in-house. So it's it's right. an assortment of shows, correct? Yes. We have, a, we have about 60% of our content is created in Detroit or in Michigan, and the rest of it is uh, in syndication. I mean, the other thing is we're not, I think people are also listening to on their phones too now is you can listen, you can just pull up a radio station, listen to it on their phone too. Yep. Yeah, would, absolutely. I do that. I mean, that's how, that's how I get radio um, right. through my right. phone. Right. And the most important question, and it's the name of the series, do you think radio is dying? Oh, I don't think radio is dying. I think that and especially as more people realize community radio or locate community radios in, in uh, various areas, I think that that gives radio new birth, new life. It's not the usual loop that um, may be in commercial radio. Community radio brings spice. It brings difference. It brings diversity. It's that place where folks can we have programs from all kinds of groups, all kinds of cultures on our station because that's what Detroit is about. We have a lot of different cultures that blend together. And I think radio is the place, the perfect place for that to, to happen. Anything else you'd like to add or anything else that I didn't ask? Well, you know, I think the listeners that are uh, listening to your show are prime example of those people that are moving. You're from a, a younger generation than I am. And if community radio has caught you and it's caught your listeners, then I think that's the target. Those are the folks. And I believe that we've got the right vehicle. We've got a, a vehicle that people can afford. They don't have to worry about subscribing. They know we're changing content. It's fresh. It happens. It's popping. And it's relative to where they live right now. Right. Opposed to like other stations that do national, international yeah. news were focused on local news. Right. Which is absolutely, which is good. Right. Because there's stories that I don't even know that's happening in my local area. And then I hear here on our radio station or one of the local radio stations. And I'm like, oh, that's happening. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we do a lot of organizations uh, with what's going on. The idea of our call letters is to unite community, North End Uniting Community. So community can unite here with those things that you thought you were in a silo doing or you were in a silo experiencing. Once you put them on community radio, you find, hey, this is something that helped everybody in my town. Well, thank you, Reverend Joan Ross, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great afternoon and good yeah. luck with community radio there. Thank you. And this has been Kaylin and this has been another episode of Is Radio Dying? That was Reverend Joan Ross talking about the importance of radio, the uh, how to get the younger generation excited about radio and the importance of this medium. Next up, uh, in this final segment, I talked to Joseph Piazic, the founder of WIOX. I sat down with him, and we had a conversation about why it's important to produce radio shows locally, 
and what goes into producing radio shows locally. This is HMM's correspondent, Killian McPherson, with the second episode of Is Radio Dying? Today, we go an hour <laughs> south to a town called Roxbury, where a radio station broadcasts from called WIOX. Can you introduce yourself and your position at WIOX? I can, but you're saying that your segment is called Is Radio Dying? Yes. That's the segment you're having me on? So if I if I pass away during our interview, you'll have delivered your promise? Oh. Is radio, how about Is Radio Dead? Can we revive it? How about that? Yes. There we go. Right. Okay. So I'm Joe Piazic, and I'm one of the founders of WIOX. When did WIOX start? We're still waiting. Um, but it began in 2010 on the air. It began as an idea around 2004. Um, it began with its construction permit when the FCC uh, opened that application window in, in um, 2007. Uh, it's about 2,000 square feet or more. Beautiful spot in the middle of town in an old building that's updated. It's a place for live performances. It's got an old-fashioned live radio booth, production studio, proper production studio. How was WIOX affected by the pandemic? Well, um, I would have to say that if you put that in present tense, um, I might have a better time answering that. How is it being affected yes. by the pandemic? Is essentially it is being a place for information about the pandemic um, because we have live, local, real-time uh, radio broadcasting. None of our programs, our local programs, are produced, pre-produced. Um, everybody comes in, you know, once a week. We have 85 volunteers who produce regularly scheduled programming. Some of them are about, you know, the talk shows about conveying information to the community about the controversies that we all face, including COVID. And others are music shows that allow uh, listeners to depart from information about COVID or misinformation or disinformation. Um, but we're not immune to information, misinformation, and disinformation. Um, we're, I mean, I don't think anybody's immune to this virus in that way. Um, but we do our best to uh, bandy about information and invite people on the air to talk about their perspectives on it. And we have healthcare professionals too. Um, and real seasoned journalists who are conveying information in real time about the mandates, uh, about the uh, infection counts, the trends, um, federal, state, local. And we're technically located in Delaware County, um, but we have a connection to the various um, healthcare providers in the region, uh, Delaware, Schoharie, Green, Otsego, uh, Ulster, um, and just try to be as current and real as we can with accurate information. So has it influenced or affected the station's broadcast? In the front room, yes, because content on the air deals with it. In the back room, very little, other than we wipe things down more than we used to. So you never went virtual. You always were in person from the start of the pandemic, right? Right. So I was doing some reading on your webpage, and I found that you are also an educational radio station. And so I'm just trying to figure out what does that mean 
from a normal radio station to an educational radio station. All right, well, first you have to tell me what's a normal radio station. That's fair. I guess I'm thinking more of a commercial, like, like, I guess when I think of a normal radio station, when I'm driving down the road in my car, I think I've, I'm listening to either NPR or our local WOOC. I mean, WOOC isn't normal, I guess, right? NPR is the big commercial, right? And I don't think they do much educational stuff, right? From what I listen to on NPR. I don't know, though. Okay, so NPR is an educational station because their affiliates are licensees, uh, the FCC licensees with an NCE designation. That stands for non-commercial educational. Uh, there are N- NPR affiliates, at least the ones that I know of, are not commercial stations. They may have a flair and a high production value, which one can associate with the commercial broadcasters, but their content and their their um, uh, license designation, their service to community, and their commercial restrictions, just like WIOX has, is the NCE designation, which is non-commercial, educational. So in that realm, you could say that WIOX is educational because of its license designation. Is it also entertaining? Is it also, you know, reflective and responsive and supportive of community interests? Absolutely. Does it sell things? Yes, it sells ideas all the time. Uh, Does it sell products? Um, not directly, but we do have a number of business underwriters that support the station by making contributions in exchange for messaging that thanks them and provides the audience with information on their whereabouts, their services, their products. That's to some ears may sound commercial, but in our case, they're not. They're many programs about uh, local institutions, some of whom are business institutions. So all of that is under the umbrella of educational. I think if you tune in, you won't not learn something. Yes. I mean, that's the same for WOOC. I'm always learning stuff through, even when I'm hosting, I'm learning something. What do you think the future of WIOX is or even a broader spectrum radio? You know, is is radio going to die out or is it going to keep going? I don't think it's going to die out. I think it's just going to evolve personally. Well, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, um, but I do have the um, the eight ball where you can shake it and, you know, ask it a question. and It'll come up with a, an accurate answer or as accurate as a crystal ball might. But where's radio going? I think it's going, you know, kind of in many directions at the same time. Um, my hope is that it goes after its audience, is that it goes after its community, and it becomes reflective of its service area and not just beating its service area over the head with you know, tasteless, wasteful garbage, which much of the commercial band, which is most of the radio band, tends to do. True. True. I think that uh, an important question might be, where is it? Um, because where things are headed is, you know, off the cliff in one direction into a brick wall in another and, you know, in a, into a beautiful skyscape of possibilities on another. My hope is that the latter will prevail, but certainly they will all co-mingle as they have, you know, in recent history. Um, we have about a minute, minute left. So in terms of structure, radio stations structure their, their, their schedules differently. How do you structure yours? Oh, that's a good question. So part of um, the legacy of commercial radio, and I come from commercial radio myself, you know, in the, um, in the old days, in the 20th century, uh, latter half of the 20th century. 
um, where uh, there were kind of tr tools and tricks of the trade tried on the air as far as scheduling goes to maintain audience and to build an audience. Those strategies fall under the category of day parting, you know, day part strategies. And WIOX is day part programmed. Day parting just means it follows the lifestyle interests of the, of the audience as understood and provides programming to complement the mood and the activities of the listening audience. Knowing people don't just sit and look at their radio, they're living their lives with the radio as a companion. So we have news programs in the morning. The 801 with Kent Garrett is on every morning from 8 to 9. It's a, it's a soft sell, hardcore news program, uh, very current all live. It brings the world into the Catskills from that perspective. And then we have, you know, music shows during the day and late at night. We have a strip of programming at, in the early afternoon, uh, noon, one o'clock. We have a strip of, of uh, talk programming in the evening, early in the week, 6 p.m. The rest is a variety of music from just about any genre you can imagine, hosted by people who either are musicians or who have a deep appreciation and knowledge of the music that they're playing. And then finally, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to mention or say? Yes. I like to say hello to my sister. Hi, Pam. I like to say hello to my wife. Hi, Jane. I like to say hello to the main uh, movers and shakers at WIOX, all 85 of them. And I can start by listing them all, but I think we'll probably run out of time. Yes. I thank you very much for discovering our, our station. And I hope that our two stations can collaborate. And I hope that your program perhaps maybe can see some light on our airwaves. That would be very, very cool to see. I will try to make that happen. Thanks for jo to Joe Piazic for joining me. This has been HMM correspondent Kaylin McPherson reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Then another episode of Is Radio Dying? <laughs> So that was my second interview of Is Radio Dying? You can really hear the difference between the second interview of this series opposed to some of the other video interviews that I did later on. Um, I just wanted to say WIOX is live and local broadcasting from the Royal Cat Catskill Mountains. Well, that's the end of our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, this special episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Keelan McPherson. We want to thank all of the volunteers who made this program possible. This program comes from stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of, month, of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. If you want to hear from, we want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand on our website, and on your favorite podcast platforms. We appreciate you listening. Radio is going nowhere, and it continues to grow. Until next time, folks, have a happy holiday. 